good to worship you. It's good to be here in the house of the Lord. And Father, uh, we look forward now to hearing from you. So may the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing to you, O Lord, for you are my rock and my redeemer. And I want to hear from you. We all, Lord, want to hear from you now. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. And boy, are we hearing from a certain class of people quite often nowadays. Uh, I would say that it's the political season, but we seem to have a perpetual political season these days. Nevertheless, you will note that there are people who are declaring their candidacy for president and senators and Congress. And of course, they're, they're letting you know what they plan to do. You'll, so we hear the same thing, the same refrains over and over again. We've got to deal with a tax system. We've got to secure the borders. We have to fix our immigration system. We have to, they go on and they go on, education and health care and all of the topics. And I don't know about you, but I hear these things and I hear every one of them, you know, saying we've got to fix these things. We've got to deal with this. We have to address these issues. And my question is simple. One word, How? How are you going to do this? Because for how long now have we been hearing the same thing every four years, every two years, every year, let's, frankly, and yet the problems just seem to get worse and worse. It, the, the real question is in the how. It's an important question because, guys, without a meaningful plan to deal with these topics, the most noble words are not going to matter. They'd be virtually meaningless. You can dream all you want about what you're going to do once you get the chance, but if you don't have any plans, then that dream just becomes, as Frank Sinatra sang, the impossible dream. Turn in your Bibles to Genesis chapter 41. We're going to pick it up at verse 41 today. I encourage you to get out your note cards and take some notes this morning. In fact, I would also encourage you to maybe have your, your camera ready because there's a couple of times you might want to actually take a picture of the screen. I'll let you know when that happens uh, to refer back to it later on. Uh, and uh, if you uh, would like to use your, your device, then you can get that information on the church app. If you're joining with us online, welcome to you guys, and uh, you can get all this material on the church app as well. Well, we're going to have a very extremely practical message. In fact, as I was putting this together this week, it just became more and more practical which kind of goes against the whole idea that's in vogue right now, which is that we don't really need the New Testament anymore, right? We're, we're a, I'm sorry, the Old Testament anymore. We're, we're a New Testament church. And so uh, one, one famous pastor said, and I'm sure he regrets ever saying it now, that we need to, quote, unhitch ourselves from the Old Testament. And I don't know about you, but as we have been going through the life of Joseph, I have found so much there to apply to my life today. Man, if I had unhitched myself from the Old Testament, then I can't imagine the amount of stuff that I would have missed. As we have been seeing in the life of Joseph, Pharaoh uh, was told by Joseph, as we saw last week, that there was coming seven years of prosperity in his nation. But those years of prosperity were going to be followed by seven years of famine. 
And so Joseph then tells Pharaoh, what you need to do is to prepare for that famine during the years of prosperity. Well, duh, <laughs> that's, that's good advice, okay? That sounds like a politician's advice right there. And, you know, we need to prepare right now so that when things get bad, we are ready. The question once again, though, is how do we do this? And the encouraging thing from the life of Joseph is, is that he had an answer for that. And again, as we saw, his proposal is simple. Appoint overseers, we saw this at the end of last week, appoint overseers to manage a program where everybody will give 20% of their harvest to the government during these seven prosperous years so that a surplus can be built up so that when the lean years come, we will be prepared. And because of this specific plan, we saw last week that Joseph himself was appointed as that overseer. We pick up the account in verse 41. Join, uh, read along with me. And Pharaoh said to Joseph, See, I have set you over all the land of Egypt. And then Pharaoh took his signet ring from his hand, and he put it on Joseph's hand. And he clothed him in garments of fine linen, and he put a gold chain around his neck. And he made him ride in his second chariot, and they called out before him, Bow the knee! Thus he set him all over the land of Egypt. Moreover, Pharaoh said to Joseph, I am Pharaoh, and without your consent, no one shall lift up a hand or foot in all the land of Egypt. And Pharaoh called Joseph's names Zarephnath Paneah, and he gave him in marriage Asnath, the daughter of Potipharah, priest of On. So Joseph went out over the land of Egypt. Well, Joseph is doing pretty well, wouldn't you say? I mean, mere probably weeks before this, he was a prisoner in jail. And, uh, you know, prior to that, he was in a cistern, had all that stuff go on to him. Now we see here, he gets the robe, he gets the ring, he gets the gold chain, he gets the chariot, and he gets the girl. <laughs> it doesn't get much better than this, so, or so it would seem. But as we're going to see, it is going to get so much better than this. Not only for Joseph, but for all of Joseph's people, the Hebrews. And as we look at this account this morning... I see three things that we can learn from Joseph's actions, three extremely practical things that we can learn to apply to our lives. Like him, guys, as we go through our lives, we need to, number one, make plans for what is coming. As we see, have seen, Joseph had a plan for preparing for the coming famine. And I, I think that that plan was probably something that God revealed to him, although we aren't told this. But the wisdom of this plan is pretty good. And Joseph is the obvious choice to carry it out. He's the one that came up with it. The fact is they needed somebody in charge because human nature being what it is, in times of prosperity, people do not tend to save more. In times of prosperity, we tend to spend more. It's one of the reasons that currently our national debt is at $31.46 trillion. Now, I know, frankly, that has gotten so high, it's, it's gone up $6 trillion in just the last three years. That number has gotten so high that it doesn't really mean anything, right? I mean, can you imagine what even $1 trillion is? Let me put it to you this way. I, I wanted to get a sense of just what a trillion dollars is. Do you know how long ago was one trillion seconds? 
You can look this up, and I'm sure some of you will. It was one trillion seconds ago was 28,000 B.C. I know. <laughs> and we are $31 trillion in debt. I mean, that is thousands of dollars for every man, woman, and child here in America. And yet we are in prosperous times. And so what does that mean? Human nature being what it is, in prosperous times, you're going to spend more. You're going to do more things. Politicians love to spend, love to give us stuff so that ensures that they get, uh, they get elected again. We resist planning. We can't put it all on politicians. We're just like them. Planning doesn't sound very exciting, does it? it? And yet, if we don't do it, we suffer. If you're in school and you don't plan your course schedule, you're probably not going to graduate on time. If you don't plan a route to a particular location that maybe you're going to for the first time, you'll probably get lost. If you don't plan what you're going to say or what you're going to write, you're liable to ramble. I do plan, and you'd be here all day if I didn't, okay? If you don't set up a realistic budget, you're probably going to run out of money. And consequently, guys, if you really want to get ahead in life, you cannot live by the seat of your, of your, of your pants. Seat of your pants, there we go. You need to make a plan. Now, we understand this, we understand the logic in this when it comes to things like our education or our gifts, giving gifts to people or our travel or our vacations. Jackie and I are going to go camping this week. Trust me, you can't just walk into a campground anymore and expect to spend the night. You've got to plan ahead, sometimes months ahead. And so we plan for these things. We know better than to try to just walk in. And yet there are things that are far more important in our life that we don't plan for. We've read here how Egypt is looking at a spiritual, is looking at a, a, a famine in their future. And guys, I see scripture telling me that there is a great spiritual famine in our land and it's only going to get worse. In 2 Timothy 4, it says, For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and will wander off into myths. We're already living this, and it's only going to get worse. So how well have you planned? How well have I planned for what we know is coming? We all know from God's word that there is coming a day, and I happen to believe it's probably sooner than we think, a day when we are going to be called and stand before Christ in the judgment seat. How well have you planned for that day? We know, guys, that until then, there will be opportunities to share our faith with others, to bring other people with us in our family, our friends, our coworkers, our neighbors. And yet at the same time, we know again from Scripture that we're going to face endless temptations from Satan. Have you planned and prepared for his assault? Jesus tells a parable in Matthew 25 called the parable of the ten bridesmaids. And very simply, five of these bridesmaids brought enough oil and then some, and the other five just brought enough. And when the bridegroom was delayed... The ones who only brought what they needed had he been on time were not ready. And, and in the end, they missed out on all the festivities because the ones who were prepared got to go inside. And we have to ask ourselves, guys, how prepared am I? How prepared are you 
for our bridegroom, Jesus Christ, for when he comes. But before we can make a good plan, we need to do what we see Joseph doing here. I see two main things that are happening here. The first one is this. Joseph had a realistic view of the challenges that he faced. See, Joseph knew that in seven years, this famine was going to come. He knew what the deadline was, seven years. He knew what the enemy was, famine. In a similar way, guys, we need to identify the challenges that we face. And believe me, there's a whole bunch of them. There's, a, of course, probably the main one, number one, is my own human nature. Let's, I'll be honest. In many times, I am just lazy when it comes to spiritual things. We need to have a plan when we recognize our own resistance to doing what we need to do. Then, of course, there is the enemy. There is the devil himself. And we know that Satan is, is alive and well and at work in this world, and he's going to do anything he can to turn us away from God and towards him. And he'll use many things that are in his arsenal, things like discouragement, things like uh, those are the kind of things that, the things that would overwhelm us in our task. There's the culture that is all around us. We are living at a time when Christianity is resisted and ridiculed and mocked incessantly by our society as the media, as politicians const constantly seek to marginalize our faith. There is our lifestyle. We also, we, we're, we're often so busy in our lives. We've got so many things we're doing. We're on this treadmill of life. We're on this hamster wheel that we begin to feel after a while that, that just... Spending time alone with God, just meditating or spending time in His Word, we, we, we have a, it's a tendency to think that that's wasted time because I'm not outdoing something. So guys like Joseph, we need to be clear about the challenges we face, and that's just a few. Think about it yourself. What are some of those challenges that you face? But there's something else that we see Joseph doing here, and that is this. He carried out specific plans. Look at verse 46. When Joseph was 30 years old, when he entered the service of King Pharaoh of Egypt, and Joseph went out from the presence of Pharaoh, and he went through all the land of Egypt, and during the seven plentiful years, the earth produced abundantly, and he gathered up all the food of these seven years, which occurred in the land of Egypt, and he put the food in the cities, and he put in every city the food of the, from the fields around it, and Joseph stored up grain in abundance like the sand of the sea, until he ceased to measure it, for it could not be measured. Talk about abundance. I mean, he, he stopped counting it. It was just, you know, it's like our national debt. It just, the numbers got too big. We just got a whole bunch of grain, okay? We're ready. One of the best ways, guys, as we see Joseph doing here, to make plans, to, to set goals, is to use what many have called the SAM method, S-A-M. Not Balianu, this is SAM, it means something else. Our goals should be S-A-M. They should be specific, they should be attainable, and they should be measurable. Now, I know there's SMART and there, you know, there's other acronyms. This one works good for this morning. Let me show you how Joseph uses this method and instructs, gives us some instruction for our lives. First off, we see that his plan was specific. Joseph didn't just say, like the average politician, we need to store up a whole bunch of grain. 
No, he said he had a specific plan. He said, we need to store up 20% from every person every year for seven years. That is a specific plan. This is what is expected of me. His plan was attainable. That means it was a realistic plan. Now, Joseph could have said, you know, I want to build up this storehouse real fast. So let's get 30%, 40%. Heck, let's do 50%. Give give us 50%. But you got to be realistic. I believe Joseph knew, obviously, because it happened, that 20% would be an amount that people would be willing to sacrifice. And if you started asking for more, that's essentially, guys, raising taxes, And there's a good chance you're going to get a tax revolt, a revolt of the people. They're just going to say, this is too much. We can't feed ourselves now. We won't won't make it until the seven years of famine. And then finally, obviously here, his plan is measurable. It's a plan that could be evaluated since it was specific, since it was going to be carried out for a specific period of time. He could evaluate it all along the way to see how it's going. Goals that are specific, and attainable and measurable are valuable because they not only give us direction in life, they help keep us on task and on track. You know, the Bible is not this this sort of otherworldly book. It is extremely practical, as we see with Joseph here. So what does this mean for our spiritual lives? It means, guys, that we have to give more thought to the idea of spiritual growth. I have to say something more than I want to grow spiritually, okay? Who wouldn't say that? That's the, that's the old, you know, the old joke. What's the nine times out of 10 in Sunday school? The answer is Jesus, okay? And if I were to say, how many here want to grow spiritually? Everybody would probably raise their hand. And yet we should develop that desire to grow spiritually into a plan, And I would submit to you that it ought to be a plan that is specific, attainable, and measurable. It ought to be a SAM plan, okay? Like supposedly, let's say we want to get more, I want to get more into God's Word. And so I set a specific goal to get into God's Word. Let's take one that many of us do, and that is I am going to read through the entire Bible in a year. Now, the question I would need to ask is, is that attainable? And let me tell you, for some people, that's no, no, no problem. They'll read through the Bible in a year. They've done it for many years. I've done it a few times. But for some people, I had a friend that was a voracious reader. I would have thought he'd read through the Bible three or four times in a year. And yet he told me once that his Bible reading plan was a two-year reading plan. And I said, really, Joe, what what do you mean two years? He says, well, because I just found that I wasn't getting it done. It was constantly frustrating. So I, I decided I'd split the thing in half and I read through the entire Bible in two years. He's doing something that is attainable. I know people that say, I'm going to read through the New Testament in one year. Whatever it is, is better than nothing, okay? Start where you are at make it attainable, and then, of course, it is measurable. You can go back, you can check. We have a a, a spot on our our website, even with the church on the app, where you can read through the Bible in a year, and there's places where you can check off each day. And so it becomes a measurable thing. How about if you wanted to grow more in your knowledge of God? So your goal might involve joining an adult growth class, 
or being involved in or even starting a, a brand new life group when we start up life groups in the fall. That would fulfill all these requirements. Maybe you want to make worship a priority in your life. I mean, attending a corporate worship service like we're doing here this morning. And so you say, I'm going to be here, you know, uh, could say 100%. If that's attainable, make that your goal. Maybe if that's something you struggle with, you know, add 20, 30 days or whatever it is that you need to to make it attainable and then begin to measure that throughout the year. Maybe I want to pray more effectively. We are hopefully using these cards. And I don't know about you, but I struggle sometimes. I get to the end of the day and I realize, well, sometimes, I'll be honest, sometimes I get to the next day and I realize I never prayed for this the day before. So what should I do? I should, I should probably set aside a specific time each day. I've got this, this phone that I carry around with me everywhere, and I can program that thing to, to set off an alarm to remind me every day to do that. Or maybe just admit that this is not something I can do every day. I'll do it every other day or however it can work for you. You might want to, you know, maybe you want to pray more. You might start recording those prayers and, and, and seeing examples of how God is answering your prayers, measuring your prayers. You may want to share your faith more effectively. One of the adult growth classes we're going to have in the fall is that very thing. We're going to do a class on how to share your faith more effectively. Maybe you want to plan to gather your Christian friends again with you over the next few months and, uh, and, and fellowship together and spend more time together. Maybe you want to work on giving a greater amount of your income to the work of the Lord. Maybe, let's get real practical, maybe you're kind of a negative, half-empty kind of a person. And so you can maybe set a goal that every day I'm going to say 10 positive things to people. I know, that sounds silly. I do things like that. I was not the kind of person, I grew up in a family where we didn't actually say things like, I love you to each other. My family was pretty much, you know, I love you. you know, my, I knew my parents loved me because they fed me, they gave me a home, they didn't lock the door, you know. <laughs> and so I accepted that. But when I got married, I married a gal who liked to hear it once in a while. And that wasn't something I was good at. Now this is going to sound terrible to some of you, but it fits right in with what I'm talking about here. I put on my calendar, tell Jackie you love her. I didn't actually write that. I would just, I had a, a code that I put down there. So if anybody saw my calendar, they were like, what? You have to schedule that? I did. <laughs> After a while, it became, you know, a normal thing that I would do. But I had to train myself. I had to motivate. I had to, to, to give myself notes. I love you. You, over there. Yeah. <laughs> I hope you get the idea. Guys, we, we don't question it when we talk about making plans, do we, when it comes to our finances or our health or, or exercise or our education or, or taking vacations. But you don't, we often don't put a lot of planning into our spiritual life. Don't you think it is important enough to be intentional about it? which is what we see Joseph doing. And as we see this morning, Joseph didn't just look forward toward what was coming. He actually made plans for what he knew was coming. But there's something else that we see here that we can learn from him. Like Joseph, we can look back and make peace with our past. One of the things that hinders people in going forward, one of the things that hinders people in their growth in the Lord, let's be honest, it's the baggage 
that they carry around with them from the past. And I know that well. I have a lot of baggage in my life. Joseph, we see here, not only had a plan for what was coming, he also had made peace with his past. We see this in verses 50 and 52. Before the year of famine came, two sons were born to Joseph. Asnath, the daughter of Potiphar, a priest of On, bore them to him. And Joseph called the name of the firstborn Manasseh. For, he said, God has made me forget all my hardship and all my father's house. 52, the name of the second he called Ephraim, for God has made me fruitful in the land of my affliction. You, you probably know that names have meanings. And so the meanings of these two names give us some insights into what's going on in Joseph's life. He named his son Manasseh, and Manasseh means to forget. Ephraim is from the Hebrew word meaning twice fruitful. And so Joseph names his firstborn Manasseh because, as he says here, God has made me forget all the hardships of my father's house. Joseph, in other words, had made peace with his past. Every time he saw his son, every time he called out his name, he is once again reminded that God has freed him from all the stuff, all the garbage that had occurred in his past. And think about the things that Joseph had to forget, the hatred of his brothers being stripped and thrown into the cistern by those same brothers, the memories of hearing his brothers negotiate and sell him to a slave trader, the years of being a slave, the false charges in the house of Potiphar from his wife, and those years that he spent in prison all for something he didn't do. These scars were deep. But guys, the healing power of God was deeper, and it still is. It's an amazing thing, isn't it? Joseph, now, I, I know what you're thinking. Did Joseph literally not remember the events anymore? Well, of course not, because he relates them. He relates them here. He's going to relate them later throughout this account. We, we, we know that he still remembered them. So what does happen when it says here that God made me forget? He's saying that God got him past the hurt of those experiences. The impact of all of that emotional stuff on him was gone. He was no longer hurt by the betrayal or the rejection or the failure. The memories no longer controlled him or possessed him. God had helped him to move on from that point. And I'm suggesting to you today, guys, that many of us need to move on as well. The hurts of the past have been severe and they have been deep, but God can and will allow you to forget them. Now, how do we get to that point? Let me make some suggestions. Again, very practical section of scripture here. These are some suggestions that I think are key to Joseph being able to do this. First off this, Joseph believed that God was in control. He knew that God was involved in his daily life and he believed that God loved him and that God never makes a mistake. We have the advantage that Joseph didn't have. We have his word that tells us all of these things. Go through and just look, what are the characteristics of God? How does God operate in this world today? And we know all of those things are true. And since they're true, then even the hurts of my past will have a reason and will result in some kind of good. Here's a question for you. Do you believe God and do you trust his promise in Romans 8:28 when he says and we know that for those who love God 
All things work together for good to those who are called according to his purpose. Do you believe that this morning? That the all things even includes those things that were so horrible in your life. Those things that were done to you. Are you willing this morning to do a couple of things? Number one, are you willing to stop reliving the past hurts in your life? And secondly, are you willing to start living in the present grace of God? Are you willing to believe God for what he has done in your life? He's done it whether you choose to acknowledge it or not. It's the enemy that keeps bringing it up because he knows as long as I can keep them reliving the past, as long as I can keep them dealing with that struggle, with those unjust things that were done to them, they're never going to live that abundant life that Jesus Christ promised. Are you willing to say something like this? I'm going to give you a prayer here, and this is what I would encourage you to take a picture of and and consider praying this to God yourself. Father, I know you have been at work in my life from the moment I was born. I know that you have been using the circumstances of my life to bring me to where I am today, and I thank you for loving me. I don't know what the purpose was in the painful times, I don't know why you allowed them or what you were doing through them, but I do know you. And I know you are the God who is over all. I know that you are good and loving and gracious. I know that you love me and are always working to draw me closer to you. And so I am willing to let go of the questions and stand firm on what I do know from your word. It's taking God at his word, even in those times when you don't understand. And boy, speaking for myself, there's a whole bunch of them. (laughs) So Joseph believed that God was in control, but he didn't just believe that God was in control. Here we go back to the politician thing again. He did something about it. So what did he do? Joseph focused on the present instead or rather than the past. Joseph made a decision based upon his faith, based upon what he knows about God, that it was time to let go of the stuff, the hurts, the pain, the the, the stuff that had been done to him in his past so that he could finally focus and enjoy the present. Of course, things could have been different. Of course, you'd like to go back and you'd like to do things over. Of course, there are things about your life that, that, that that you really struggle with, but you can't change the past. That is one thing that is absolute, guys. My daughter is fond of saying, build a bridge and get over it, okay? Now, let me hasten to add here, lest lest you think I'm I'm, I'm so cold and unheartful or unfeeling about things. Sometimes you do need to get some counseling to confront the past. Sometimes you need to try to understand and learn from what happened to you in the past. God did have a reason for that. But here's the thing, guys, you cannot and you must not live in the past. You cannot stay there. Remember the words of the Apostle Paul when he says in Philippians 3, I want to know Christ. And here's how he finishes up. Not that I have already obtained this or I'm already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. 
Brothers, I don't consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, here it is, guys, forgetting what lies behind and straining toward what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Jesus Christ. And I know I can hear some of you now. I've said it myself many times. I just can't do that. Well, then take that to the Lord. Say, Lord, I know, and I've done it, trust me, many a times. I know that I'm not supposed to be allowing this to hold me back. I know that I'm not, I, I don't want to feel these feelings anymore. I don't want to be wallowing in this anymore. Lord, help me with this. Fill me with your spirit. Tell him that. Be honest with him. He knows. And guys, we need to understand that when we become anchored to the past, we lose our ability to function in the present, to experience the freedom you see, the past, as I said before, is one of the most powerful tools that the devil has. He uses it to haunt us, to paralyze us, to make us fearful, to rob us of the joy that God has for us right now, to rob us of the peace that he wants us to experience right now. He can use the past, the devil can, to separate us from others. He can use it to drive a wedge into our relationships it's interesting, when people start going through difficult things, what are they, what's often one of the first clues I get? I don't see them anymore. They stop fellowshipping together with other believers, and yet that's one of the major reasons we are here, to be there for each other, to bear each other's burdens. You can go through the New Testament and look up all the one another's, all the things, pray for one another, bear one another's burdens, uh, be, be kind to one another. And the devil uses our past quite often to separate us from others and drive that wedge into our relationships. But we have to understand, guys, that well, the past can hurt us only if we allow it to hurt us. Joseph let the past go free. And as we see here, he found that God helped him to forget those hurts of the past and to begin to live in the fullness and joy of the present. He went from being one who was despised and rejected to being one who was tri twice fruitful, to one who was blessed, Ephraim, the other son. And we can move in that direction too. Let me give you some suggestions on just how to do that. Number one, here's another one when I'm done with this list. You might want to shoot a picture of this page. To acknowledge and identify the painful memories in your past. Number two, Commit them to prayer in the Lord. Number three, claim the promise that God was working even in those hard times. He was there. Number four, then throw yourself, or as Paul would say, press on into the present. And finally, number five, don't dig up the past that you have already buried in the grace of God. Trouble with a lot of people is they, they take their old man and they, they dig him up and they carry him around. And it's no wonder things start to smell after a while. <laughs> See, guys, every time Satan brings those memories back, and trust me, he will. I don't have to prove that to you. You know it. He brings those memories back. You know who you are. You know what you've done. You know the stuff that's been done to you. How dare them? How dare you? How dare everybody? Remember, guys, when he brings those things back, that's when you remind him, no, I am delivered, I am forgiven, I am healed. And by the way, lean on your brothers and sisters in Christ. That, again, is why we are here. Don't separate yourself. Don't stop showing up because, oh, you know, it's a church full of people that are all, you know, singing worship songs and excited, and I'm the only one. I don't want to bring the group down. Trust me, you're not. <laughs> 
We are all in that same boat. We all need each other. So Joseph gives us some very practical examples today. Make plans for what's coming. Make peace with your past. You know, in this whole idea of forgetting, I had an experience years ago where I, uh, I took a class in counseling. And what they did in this class was they said, uh, what we're going to do is we're going to practice some of the counseling techniques that you uh, have been learning. And you're gonna, we're going to divide you up into teams, you know, into pairs. And then you're going to counsel each other using these techniques. I was way up north, up in Modesto, doing this. And um, so we said, so what do we do? How, do? how do we have them counsel us? Do we make up some kind of sickness? Or, you know, do I, do I become a schizophrenic in order to have them? And they said, well, the best way to do it is just be honest. Just share, because you don't know these people, and they don't know you. You know, deal with it. Do, do honest counseling. Tell them what you're struggling with. And so I remember sitting down with this person, again, somebody that I don't know who they were. Never, I've, I will probably never see them again until we get to heaven. But he said to me, he, had, he asked, the first question he asked was, what is the worst, or I don't know if it's the first question, but one of the questions he asked me was, what is the worst thing that has ever happened to you? And I'm not going to tell you what it is, because because I don't want to, okay? <laughs> but it was terrible. It was a terrible thing that had happened to me. And it was one of those things that happens to you where everything I'm talking about today applies. This was not fair. I didn't deserve this. How dare they? You know, and it, it, just, it just stacked up. It was awful. And I thought, I'm never, ever going to get over this. So I'm in this counseling thing, and this is probably just a few months after this experience, and the guy says, what's the worst thing that's ever happened to you? And I sat there and I had to think hard. What was the worst thing that ever happened to me? And I, I, and I, I don't know, I finally came up with something, but I sort of came up with something just out of, you know, okay, I, I, I need to give him something to counsel me on. I was really struggling. And you know, it wasn't until two days later when I'm driving back down Highway 99 on my way home that it suddenly hit me, I didn't even remember what happened to me. Well, I, I couldn't come up with that experience, which was obviously the worst thing that had ever happened to me. And it shows me that God does allow you, as he does with Joseph, to forget. Now, I can tell you the whole story. I could relate it all to you right now. But the impact of that is completely gone. The hurt and the pain and the betrayal, and everything that, that, all the emotions that came along with it, those are completely gone. And in the heat of the moment, it didn't even come up. And it, to this day, it never comes up, even though, yeah, I knew it happened. And, and God was there, and God developed things in my life as a result of that, and he's used that, and I can actually praise the Lord for it. That's, a, that's an actual account. So Joseph makes plans for what's coming. He made peace with his past. And one more, he gives us move boldly into the future. And that's exactly what Joseph does. Considering all the things that Joseph could have allowed to hold him back, look at what he does. Verse 53, And the seven years of plenty that occurred in the land of Egypt came to an end. And the seven years of famine began to come, as Joseph had said. There was famine in all the lands, but in all the lands of Egypt there was bread. And when all the land of Egypt was famished, fam the people cried to Joseph for bread. And Joseph said to all the Egyptians, I'm sorry, Pharaoh said to all the Egyptians, go to Joseph for what he says to do. What he says to do, do. 
And so when Joseph, so when the famine had spread all over the land, Joseph opened up all the storehouses and sold to the Egyptians, for the famine was severe in the land of Egypt. Moreover, all the earth came to Egypt, to Joseph, to buy grain, because the famine was severe over all the earth. And what he's done here is he's setting us up for chapter 42 in a, that we're going to get to in a couple of weeks when Joseph's family, as part of all of the earth, comes to Egypt to buy grain. And we really begin to see how God is working even in difficult circumstances. So as a result, guys, of being in God's word today, my hope is that we will become intentional in planning for our spiritual growth and our development, and maybe even some other areas, or physical and financial and social, those things are important as well. Uh, if you'll note in your notes this morning, instead of the takeaways that I usually give you, although I've given you quite a few this morning, I've given you a little box, and I would encourage you to write down a few goals that might be applicable to you in this area. And then revive, revise those goals so that they become specific and attainable and measurable. And if you need help doing this, trust me, there's a lot of people on our staff and elders that would love to sit down with you and work with you through this to help you develop uh, a plan for your spiritual life. And then with a new focus, guys, let's move forward. Let's take our spiritual lives as seriously as we take every other aspect or many other aspects of our lives. The, fe the best way, of course, is to consider your eternal destiny. I bet there's people here today that have been putting this off. Because they're thinking, well, I've got time. I've got life to live. I don't really want to really seriously consider this Christian thing until I'm close to dying. Well, you don't know when that is. Guys, the time is right now to take action. You don't know how much time you have left. And even, guys, if it's a lot of time that you have left, why waste that time when you could be God's child? Here's the issue. The question is, who is Jesus Christ to you? Today, I encourage you to take a good, hard look at the Savior. I want you to focus on this last part that we're going to talk about. And so I would like for everyone here to close your eyes and bow your heads, not putting anything else up on the screens, and just listen to what I have to say. Let me ask you first, have you trusted Jesus Christ for your salvation? Do you believe that he died on the cross for you? And do you believe that that death is sufficient to pay for your sin and the sins that you have done as a result of your separation from God? Do you believe that he can and he will forgive you just as he said? And this morning, are you willing to put all of your confidence in him? You can settle that issue today. We call it the ABCs. Admit your need of a savior. Believe that Jesus Christ is that Savior who died in your place on the cross and then make a choice. Choose ABC. Choose, ask Jesus Christ to be your Savior. Confess with your mouth that he is Lord and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead and you will be saved. And in the quiet of this room right now, why not do that with him? Declare your desire to follow Christ, to trust in him alone for your salvation. And once you have settled that essential issue, then you can begin to work on the other things because short of that one, all the other things ultimately aren't going to matter because in the end of your life, it's going to be over unless you know Jesus Christ. 
But I also hope this morning, as we have been sharing in the life of Joseph, that you're willing to take some action against those things in your past that are haunting you. Some people try to bury the past by denying it or relive that past in their minds, analyzing it again and again. What I'm suggesting to do with your past, guys, is confess it. Agree with God. That's what confession means. The hurts, the sin, the pain, the resentment. 1 John 1.9 says, If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just and will forgive our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And when you do that, guys, when you agree with God, yes, this is wrong. I shouldn't have done this. I give it to you, Lord. Leave it with him. He'll bring justice and healing and vindication. He has promised that, guys. We just need to trust him. I have no doubt that the hurts are deep. Maybe you've been through more than anyone here could ever understand. Well, I've got news for you this morning. God understands. He knows what happened to you. He saw that injustice. He saw that pain. He saw that sin. And not only can he help you heal, he can also help you forget Manasseh and move forward in your life victoriously. And he can and will make you twice fruitful, even in the land of your affliction. Ephraim, as Joseph would say. Will you allow him today to do that in your life. And if so, guys, we can live the impossible dream. The worship team can come on back up as we pray. Father, thank you for your word to us today. A very practical word, Lord. Nevertheless, one that is needed. We spend so much time, so much wasted time, worrying about things that don't really matter to you. Lord, it, it, it amazes me when Scripture says things like, you remove my sin and the past as far away as the east is from the west. And it's hard for me to fathom that, Lord, that there are actually things in Scripture that, that you forget. It's almost like as a believer in Christ, when I get to heaven and I stand before you and I say, I'm sorry, Lord, for this, you would have every right to say, what are you talking about? <laughs> I don't understand that for an all-knowing God to not know something, and yet that's exactly what you say, Lord. I thank you for that. And I pray, Father, that you can put the pain and the emotions of our past as far away from us this morning as the east is from the west so that we can experience everything that you desire for us to experience, everything that Jesus calls the abundant life. And we thank you for that. It's in his name we pray. Amen.